0: Welcome to The Whole Marketer. Where we look at the holistic skills, the technical skills, soft skills, leadership skills and personal understanding that marketers of today need to grow the brands and businesses of tomorrow. We're here to ensure that marketers feel supported and empowered to have successful and fulfilling careers and lives as a whole. Hello and welcome to The Whole Marketer podcast. <laughs> Today's podcast is a topic of personal understanding. It's heart-led career choices. And shortly I'll welcome today's guest, Rania Robinson, onto the podcast. But before I do, let me tell you why I believe career choices of our choosing is so important. One of the key pillars of the whole marketer is fulfillment. My one is for us to have fulfilling and rewarding careers and a life as a whole. But to achieve this, we need to take the reins of our career so it's happening for us, not to us. To do this means we need to develop our personal understanding to be able to make more informed choices that are right for us. Choices that are not only good on paper, but also, more importantly, good in our soul. A lot of the work I do through workshops, individual and group coaching is to help individuals define their ideal role, a role that aligns to their passions, purpose, values, that allows them to utilise their strengths, the ones that they enjoy, and also allows them to develop skills that will allow them to move towards that desired role and grow, as well as make sure it fits with their life as a whole and their chosen work style remuneration reflects the life they want to live. Today's guest is Rania Robinson, CEO and partner of Quiet Storm, who came to the UK from Egypt at the age of three and started school not speaking a word of English. Her early experiences sparked a lifelong passion for forming connections and meaningful communication. Having spent most of her career in non-traditional agencies in both account leadership and strategic roles, she has worked with some of the world's best known brands, including Haribo, Mercedes, Virgin, Google, and Coca-Cola. Since joining Storm 11 years ago, she has brought a 360 perspective and new energy to the agency, helping extend its service offer and broaden its sector experience. Passionate about empowering women in the workplace, she is president of Wackle, an organization whose purpose is to accelerate gender equality in the advertising and communication industry. QuietStorm currently works with the Women's Equality Party pro bono. Rani is a diversity champion and in 2020 relaunched Create not hate. Quiet Storms initiative to get underrepresented young people into the creative industries by unlocking their creative potential. Rani is an active participant in DNI initiatives across the industry and a regular commentator on BBC Radio. She features in IPA's 2020 iList list, of the most influential industry role models. Was listed in Campaign's top three trailblazers of 2021 and their 40 over 40 list in 2022, as well as being on Ad Age's leading women list of 2021. Is one of the We Are The City's 50. Trailblazers of 2023. Rania, welcome to the Whole Marketer podcast. Hi Abby. We always start with a big juicy question and today's big juicy question is what is a career to you? Well to me
1: it's about following your passions and doing what makes you feel good things you care about, being driven by things sort of above and beyond just, I guess, what the obvious drivers are, which is money, status, you know, the the obvious stuff, but I guess things that kind of matter to you at a kind of deeper level.
0: And what are those things that matter to you?
1: Well, I think for me, I've never been somebody that can just go through the motions, I guess, of getting to an end goal, a more rational, tangible end goal. I've always got to be personally inspired by what I'm doing. And I think there's three big things in my life that are kind of probably. Taking up most of my time now. And there's been a number of factors that have led me here. Personal drivers, and the big three things are my business, which is an employee owned trust, my head up an organization called WACL, which is Women in Advertising and Communication Leadership, whose purpose is to accelerate gender equality. And I've also got a not-for-profit organization, which we launched a few years ago called Create Not Hate. And I think the things that they all share in common, even the commercial side of my business, is this very, they're all about driving equity, equitable in sort of society in the world. Even our kind of business, commercial business model is, is an equitable business model, which is a much fairer approach to commercial success for everybody rather than just a few key players. So so I guess the common theme is this sort of desire for equity.
0: Do you think that desire for equity and society and the world as a whole, which is what I've written down, has come from?
1: Well, I think a lot of it comes from my childhood, I guess, and my young personal experiences. I think coming from a family of first-generation immigrants, coming to the UK, being from a marginalised group, I guess, well, two marginalised groups, if you think about being a woman and then also being a woman of colour, coming to a foreign country. Having that strong sense of being different and being challenged with certain opportunities just for the fact of my gender and my background. And I think for me, that has probably been a very big and unconscious driver. And I think, likewise, for my partner, my husband, and my business partner, who's also come from a very sort of marginalized part of society, if you like. So I think for both of us, that sort of shared desire to create opportunities where they don't currently exist or level out the playing field, I guess, in any way that we can has been a key driver. And I think that certainly come from my early childhood experiences, I think, for me as well, starting school at the age of four, not speaking any English, feeling very different, being very kind of cognizant of the fact I was being judged for superficial reasons, for my background, for where I'd come from. And... Yeah, I guess those things don't leave you. Also losing my dad at a very young age, I kind of grew up in a sort of very tight-knit, strong female environment, if you like. My brother, I, I've got an older brother, but he was 18 by the time I'd lost my dad when I was nine, and he'd pretty much left home, was off to uni. So it felt like it was me, my sister and my mum together And so having that very, very strong female role modelling, I went to an all-girls school, a very ambitious all-girls school. Actually, it was a grammar school, um, so a selective school. They were very ahead of the curve. They talked about women in science education and very much kind of encouraged the women and the girls of the school to go into professions that were kind of historically certainly dominated by men, still very much the case when you look at tech and even today, as well, science and tech today, and also Growing up in the era of sort of Margaret Thatcher, which was the time of however you feel about political point of views, or however you, know, you might feel about Margaret Thatcher, and there's certainly a lot not to be inspired by by her. But seeing a woman in the top job in the country, I think all of those things for me gave me a sense of as a woman, like, well, why can't we do everything that our male counterparts can't do? And you know, I think I had that role modeling and I was in that environment. So again, I just didn't understand why we wouldn't have kind of equal opportunities as women. And in some ways was quite naive to the fact that we didn't until later on in my career when I had children. And that's when I really realized the inequities that were actually there. So lots of things in my life that has just made me very aware of the challenges of your birth and your
0: background. And I've wanted to address those things. I've been making notes as you've been talking, and I think there's a few themes here and Correct me if I haven't captured them correctly. I think there is a theme around what's allowed you to arrive at equity society and the world is one pillar of inspiration where you've talked about women in science and tech and the female community that you raised within and seeing, you know, Margaret Thatcher and the female politician and coupled with the injustice, seen differently, being categorised, perceived differently and a real drive that that's not how you want things to be in the future. And a passion to do and make things different for the future generations. It feels like those three things combined almost are, I guess, the pillars of your heart led career. That what is the passion and drive, the thing that I want to do? What do I need? I need inspiration and I need both of those things in order to feel that I am making career and life choices that feel heart led. Is that fair?
1: Yeah, I think that's absolutely fair. And I think also, in a way, it's ironic that I've ended up in the communication industry having started school not speaking a word of English. And I think that, that that in itself is a key driver too, is the fact that that real desire to want to be able to connect with people, which is so important in what we do, and connect beyond language, you know, it is the deeper stuff, isn't it? And I think when you are, you know, trying to assimilate, which when you are different, And particularly in the environment I grew up, I didn't grow up in London, I grew up in Salisbury, where there was very few people, there wasn't a community that I could connect with. So you do, you have that desperate desire to belong at that age. We we as human beings have a desperate desire to belong. You do that through assimilation. And I think that comes through insight, understanding, observation. So they're things that have become really key tools in what I do as well. So, so the fact that I've sort of ended up in the communication industry as well, or everything that you're saying, which is that kind of inspiration and the things that drive you emotionally. So yeah, lots of things, lots of things that have sort of led into where I've ended up, I guess, and, and the way I've chosen to lead my career.
0: And tell us more about that, those kind of key milestones that have perhaps from entering into the communication industry, meeting that need around connection and belonging and being able to represent to where you are today, leading a business, Wackle, a charity. Yeah. Tell us about some of those key milestones that you feel reflect that kind of heart-led career.
1: I mean, again, I've not done anything in the right order or in the right way. I mean, there's so many things about my history and my background that actually would have never led me to where I've led to under normal circumstances. Because I found The whole school experience unbelievably frustrating. I mean, I loved, I was inspired by the fact that it was an ambitious school. I loved the fact that we were encouraged as women to step out of our boundaries and step out of our restrictions. I loved that. But one of the things that I found frustrating about the school was its single-minded focus on academics. And it was highly, highly selective. It was very kind of academically driven. And the arts and the creative subjects were kind of completely sort of disregarded. And I was obviously... Naturally, much more geared towards creativity. Or I certainly wasn't geared towards the nature of the learning that came with that environment, which is rote learning, memorization. Really, that was it. If you've got good memory, you're going to probably do quite well. But if you're someone like me who needed to be inspired by ideas or concepts or theories, or, you know, I've got a real passion for learning. But that environment wasn't really about learning. It was about remembering. It was about facts and figures and and like, right, okay, I'm going to write something up on the board and you're going to write it down. You're going to memorize it. And, and that's kind of job done. So again, I found school unbelievably frustrating. I've got a lot to thank it for, but I didn't do well academically because I was so switched off. And this is another thing about kind of heartfelt. So I wasn't somebody that could just go through the motions of learning. I had to be inspired. And I just wasn't inspired by the style of teaching in that school. So I opted out of the education system quite young. So again, I didn't follow the traditional path, which was sort of common to the industry, which is, well, you know, you go to university, you know, at the time it was probably Oxford. That they were the kind of people that were coming into the industry. So I kind of took a very left field entry into the industry. So growing up in Salisbury as well, not in the heart of the media world, not where it's happening in the way, you know, with London being the centre of industry, if you like, media and marketing and communication. So I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I knew I didn't want to. Like my dad was a doctor, my mum was a teacher. I knew I didn't want to do that. And I was uninspired by traditional learning. So I didn't have any of the influences that a lot of people do that help them get into the industry. One, knowing it exists. Two, having potentially parents in the industry or friends or uncles or following a traditional graduate pathway into the industry. So I knew there was... Something like, you know, I loved the ads on TV. I used to love stuff that happened on telly, to be honest. With you. I enjoyed the, mu- you know, the tube and the music shows and the TV ads and the commercials were brilliant growing up. I mean, my mum used to say to me, God, if you could learn your lessons as well as you could recite these ads, you'd be doing better <laughs> at school. And it was true. And I just was, I just... I was very inspired by what I saw on TV. So I kind of knew I wanted to do something in music, media, entertainment, but it just felt like an alternative universe. I was like, where does this stuff happen? Where does it even exist? So it wasn't until we moved to London that I realized, right, this is the epicenter of this stuff. I had the good sense to go, okay, well, at the time, everybody had secretaries. I mean, that's not the case at all now, but everyone had secretaries. So if you got a secretarial course, you could pretty much work in any industry. And I had the good sense to go, okay, well, I'll kind of do that because then I can get into this sort of world through a secretarial Route, so I did that, and then I started life off at a music publishing company. was my first job, and it was actually really I found it quite dull because actually a lot of it's just contracts and IP negotiation and, and stuff like that. So, um, didn't think that was really interesting. And then a friend of mine had got a job at a place called Virgin Vision, which was one of Richard Branson's early companies. It was film distribution, video distribution company, and I went into there in a sort of admin role in the sales sort of admin, and then worked very closely with marketing. And it was at that point that I was like, oh, okay, this is it. This is a routine. What I hadn't realized was there was a difference between being a marketer on the brand side, if you like, versus working in an agency. And I remember just going to a recruitment agency just saying I want to work in marketing (laughs) I just want to work in marketing and they set up an interview for me in an agency and that was kind of where it all started and I used to type up all the presentations the pitch presentations and I just used to love reading the strategy and reading the ideas because you'd you'd literally be typing them all day long and and that was it that was it for me and then I just knew and then as soon as I knew This is it. It's ideas. I love ideas. I love consumer insight. I love the the things that get you to ideas. And once I knew what I wanted to do from there, it was just a case of Putting the work in, putting myself forward. And it was a challenge because I didn't have a degree. And actually, you were expected to have a degree. So it was a constant battle to be taken seriously. So, yeah, sorry, I've probably gone all around the houses <laughs> on your question. But again, I, I guess it was just another reason why Create Not Hate has been so important to us because for us, it's about bringing underrepresented talent into the industry and people that haven't followed a classic career path. Because actually, oh. those entry points that one once existed like through the secretarial route or through the postroom once upon a time you had people coming in through the postroom that would come on to be like brilliant creatives brilliant talent in our industry all those entry points slowly got shut down and actually we became less and less diverse as an industry as a result of it over the years so that was another sort of big driver for us with create not hate which was about opening up the industry to people that might not one know about it have access to it And two, might not be seen as being right for it because they haven't followed the traditional route in.
0: I think what's clear as I'm listening to you is that regardless of whether it's traditional route in, is that you followed the scent. Yeah. You let your heart and what you realise that you need with connections and the need to express with your drive for chasing what you are passionate about and where you think there's injustice with relentlessness, shall we say, (laughs) coupled with what inspires you around creativity and communications and females pushing the boundaries, you just kept following the scent. And for me, it almost feels like that, if I was to write a definition now for you of what heart-led career means, it means following the scent, following the things that you enjoy, following the things that you need, following the things that drive and that you are passionate about changing. Because I think we met probably about 10 years ago. If I think about, you know, where you are now with your charities and the driving with the injustice versus where you've just explained how you started, how you entered the profession, all of those things. Am I correct to say that the same drive is what's driven you to make those choices? Are they inspiring? Is it pushing boundaries? Am I communicating and connecting? I imagine all of those things act as a filter about, is this the right choice for me?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the point is that even when we work on a brand, we fall in love with the brands that we're working mm, on.
0: We I really have do. have to
1: fall in love with them. Yeah. And you, and you do, don't you? And even this whole sort of challenging the status quo is very much at the heart of our approach as an agency creatively as well. And we tend to work with brands who want to challenge the status quo, who want to disrupt mm. the norms, who, want to go against the grain. And I think that essence of who I am, who Trevor is, you know, my husband and partner, we share that. And it's very much at the heart of our business. Looking back to the work that Trev did all those years ago with the Tango ads, Mm. you know, they were groundbreaking. And again, that's to do with his background. He didn't come from a traditional background. So he was coming up with ideas that were completely different and actually much more in touch with real people in many ways.
0: And society as a whole. And
1: society as a whole. And I think that is something we share as a couple and very, very much at the heart of our business as well. And we do work that kind of connects at that level. And, it, you know, it's not for everybody, not every brand wants to work with us. And, and I think the brands that do really do, and when we do do work, it really does resonate with the right consumers as well. So it very much plays to the commercial business as well. It's not just all self-indulgent. Oh, you know, it's because we like, this is what we like to do. It's because it's powerful.
0: Mm. It's, it's powerful. And I like that from not thinking about, you know, what brands or what sectors or what categories, or it's about thinking up which brand is in that space where they want to challenge, I don't know, the category, the status quo, society, disrupt. They're the brands that you bring in to Quiet Storm, or they're yeah. the brands that you want to attract. And they're the ones that you and Trevor and the team feel really passionately about working on. Yeah, absolutely. I really like that. It's almost like a filter, if you will, of like, oh, it's the is- right brand for us if you want to challenge the status quo.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that is true of the work that we do and it's consistent approach is that we, we talk about creativity with purpose. Purpose has been hijacked really by social purpose and we do have a social dimension to the stuff we do, but we're talking just the original. The original, um, why the your original brand original exists. Meaning, yeah, and it doesn't have to exists. be to
0: change the world.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's just about what you mean to people beyond your products and services. I mean, with Haribo, it's sweet at the end of the day. We talk about just bringing moments of childlike happiness to a dull and grey world and actually, it's true to the product experience and true to the brand experience. You get a packet of Haribo's out. That's what happens. People become childlike. They get excited for a minute and try and find their favorite Haribo and everyone's like, gets excited. So it comes from a brand truth. It doesn't have to be about social causes, but we do start there because again, that's the heart of the brand, if you like. So yeah, we do find interestingly that actually that the two businesses do kind of intersect because we've worked with brands like John Lewis with Create Not Hate, where they're looking to, you know. Know, fresh ideas and a fresh perspective which comes with people who, who've come from different backgrounds who've had different lived experiences that you know haven't gone through the same life experiences as a lot of people in our industry so it can bring a really fresh commercial perspective as well to product innovation and communications and so there is that kind of point of intersection between create not hate and our commercial business we don't just see create not hate as a kind of yeah we tackle social challenges for underrepresented groups it is about bringing underrepresented people in, but it's it's really about bringing the talent that they can bring to the business as well.
0: Diversity of thought and diversity of insight that's probably more reflective of society as a whole. And by bringing that in, then they feel more represented in the work that you do, And it does benefit society as a whole. So win-win, yeah. win-win all yes. round. <laughs> So, Rani, you've quite clearly followed your heart and what you're interested in, what inspires you, your passions, you know, the injustices that you want to help solve as part of your career. What advice would you give to marketers that are looking at defining their career goals or the choices that they're about to make or thinking about making in the future?
1: I mean, life is short, isn't it? And we spend a lot of time at work. And I think sometimes we can get so hung up on what we think we're supposed to be doing, where we think we're supposed to be. And that kind of linear status led career path that Mm. that a lot of us feel under pressure to follow. And I think that's changing anyway, because actually... The market's changed. There's all new jobs and careers and skills required in organizations that are not linear anymore. And actually, there's a lot of talk of sort of squiggly careers now, isn't there? Yeah, Where, with Helen and Sarah. Know, Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's so much truth in that. I mean, I, I've always had a squiggly career and, you know, there was a time where people would look at it and go, oh God, that's terrible. You know, she's not, it it doesn't show commitment. It doesn't show focus, whatever. Now it's like, it's a gift. It's like, you know, people want people who are T-shaped. They want people that can kind of pivot and can think in multiple ways and can bring different dimensions. So that's why I think it's never let me down you know, I haven't had that linear path. I haven't sat and made those considered choices that maybe some people might have made where it goes, well, actually what's expected of me and what will people think as to my next career choice? Whereas I've just Mm -hmm. followed my heart and actually it's led me to be able to do the things that I can do now well because I've had this sort of unorthodox. So I don't know, my advice would be to just, like I said, follow your heart and it sort of all kind of works out. I just think we can be a little bit too rational in some of our choices We're not very good at really knowing ultimately what's going to make us happy anyway. I think we often will think certain things because on paper they feel right, Mm. but actually...
0: Good on paper, I would say good on paper paper versus good in soul.
1: Well, absolutely. And I think that would be my advice would be, Feed your soul. (laughs) Just don't just think about good on paper because actually what does good on paper mean anyway these days? A linear career would have been great once upon a time. It's not so great now. Who knows? So I think if you can feed your soul, you're never going to regret that, I don't think.
0: I couldn't agree more as I sit here with a painting next to me that says, (laughs) do what makes your soul happy.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: And the benefit of that is that as you just said, you are collecting skills, a skill set and experiences that you can draw on to things that you didn't know that were coming ahead of you. So that you wouldn't have gathered should you have gone down that linear, as I call it, chasing the director of the universe job title. Yeah, absolutely type roles. For sure. So, Ronnie, you give so much back to the profession. You know, you volunteer your time, you know, president of Wackle, director of Create Not Hate. What drives you to give so much back and why did you choose those causes?
1: I think they're probably things that speak to my lived experience, to mm. be honest with you. Obviously, coming from an underrepresented background in the industry, not just in terms of my ethnicity, or even, you know, female CEO, still massively underrepresented in terms of female CEOs, you know, having experienced the barriers and the challenges to progress that I personally experienced as a woman in the industry, which is something that Wackle is there to tackle, both in terms of support, inspiring, but also campaigning. And there's a number of different challenges that we face as women in the industry in terms of our progress. Coming from a marginalised group is another factor, and also having having not got a university degree... So there's been so many aspects to my lived experience that connect back to the causes that I support. And that is about supporting women who are not equal in the industry still and underrepresented and marginalized groups that are still not getting the opportunities that they should be getting in the industry. So they all sort of ladder back to that, my own personal challenges and my own personal experiences in the industry. So yeah, they're personal, they're deeply personal, but they're also very much anchored in recognition of The benefits that brings to our industry and the benefits Mm. that brings to our business personal from a business perspective as well. Tons and tons of evidence to show that all these things ladder to business success. It's not all completely altruistic. You know, it's motivated by personal experience, but it's also driven by the understanding that it's it's good for business at the end of the day. Definitely. Um,
0: And I love how you've made that connection, which I wasn't actually aware of. It feels unfair to ask you the next question, Rania, but I'm going to ask it to you anyways. What are your career highs?
1: Oh, wow. I would say there's two big ones. One, launching Create Not Hate as a community interest company, something I'm really proud of. I mean, it's something Trevor launched back in 2007, way ahead of its time. The industry just wasn't ready for it at all. And at the time, it was just an initiative, but relaunching it post-George Floyd. As an actual organisation that can be self-funding and finally getting the support that it deserved, really, I think is something we're unbelievably proud of. And I think the other thing is becoming an employee-owned trust two years ago as well, which is something, again, really proud of. So just being a more equitable business model, building a business that you can then create to be a legacy business. for Your staff and your team, I think, is two big highs we're really proud of.
0: And your lows?
1: Gosh, you know what? I think it's a really interesting question because it's very hard to sort of pull out a major low in a way, because for me, they all drive you towards another direction, which is for me often a better outcome. So someone was asked about sort of failure, you know, what my biggest fail one of my biggest failures was. And I think I've really struggled to answer it because it's, it's sort of how you perceive failure and how you perceive lows. And I think arguably you could say if you're judging it based on society, it's probably my education is probably one of my biggest failures because I didn't despite going to a grammar school and despite having all the what the kind of indicators might be you know we're obsessed with sending our kids to brilliant schools aren't mm. we and and look at the kind of that that's sort of what we consider and still is a key indicator to what's going to deliver success for you if you can get your kid in that perfect school and so I guess that would be in other people's eyes considered as, as a failure but to me i still got to where I wanted to get to so it's it wasn't really a failure or a a low and for me there's often a series of lows and there's periods of time where business is tough and it is tough at the moment for a lot of businesses I kind of see them as temporary states of being until you get to somewhere better so I don't know I I struggle to answer things like that but you have lots of highs and lows in this industry you know yet the highs are the wins aren't they and the lows are the losses and I think probably experienced a series of lows over the years when you don't win something that you feel like you really deserve to win and you've put your heart and soul. Into it yeah. or a relationship that you've invested in professionally and you part ways. So they're probably the lows that I really feel, but they're probably a series of lows rather than. I mean, I lost my mum recently. It, um, I guess that's if we're getting into personal stuff rather than professional. I mean, obviously that's a major, a major low. But you know, I think, yeah, I, I struggle to I struggle to find those within the context of career in truth. Because like I said, I just, I see them as sort of part and parcel. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So Rania, thank you so much for your time on today's podcast so far. And thank you for being so open and honest with our listeners. I'm going to ask the final question now. What one piece of advice would you give to marketers of tomorrow?
1: Bosh, marketers of tomorrow. The balance of heart has been lost a little bit in recent times in this industry where we're using a lot of head and a lot of data and a lot of rationalization. And I would say, whilst that stuff is really important, we're human beings and we're driven by our hearts. Our consumers are driven by their hearts. And I think we've got to just be careful not to lose sight of that. And I think when in a tough economy, which we're undoubtedly in, People become more risk averse. And I think that risk is often mitigated by data, research, rationalization, science. Amongst all of that, some of the magic and some of the heart can be lost. Mm. And, you know, as human beings, the one thing that hasn't changed fundamentally is still how we are driven and we're driven emotionally. And I, I think that would be a piece of advice is to make sure that we're balancing that, you know, with data, which is important and science. but Yeah. Not to forget
0: the heart in all of it. Love that. And thanks again for your time on today's podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for tuning into the Whole Marketer Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do like, follow and share. The Whole Marketer is here to support and empower you and your teams with the latest technical skills, softer leadership skills and behaviours, and personal understanding for a successful, fulfilling marketing career and life as a whole. For support, resources, and more information on how we can help you to become a Whole Marketer and build whole marketing teams, go to www.thewholemarketer.com. <laughs>